Hello and welcome to the Vaccine Challenge. Our mission is to speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine by bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges involved with this mega task and by connecting the various stakeholders that can benefit from working together. I'm Priyanka and today we're in conversation with Jim Tompkins. Now I've known Jim ever since I started my supply chain journey over six years ago but he's been in the world of supply chain for over 45 years now. As the founder and chairman of Tompkins International, Jim's focus over the last few years has been in the areas of digital commerce, unit channel, and supply chain reinvention. He's an absolute legend in the supply chain world, and today we're gonna to be talking about the impacts of the COVID-19 vaccine distribution on the rest of the supply chain and what kind of permanent changes are here to stay. Hi there, Jim. Thank you so much for taking out the time to chat with us today. Well, thank you, Priya. It's great to be here and uh, great to have a chance to chat with you again. Wonderful. All right, let's jump right in. Um, can you describe, perhaps from your perspective, where we are at the moment when it comes to the COVID-19 from a supply chain perspective? Can you maybe give us a little bit of the lay of the land of what is going on? Well, as you know, uh, COVID-19 began in China in late, ni- late 2018. And then during the Chinese New Year, like 12 months ago, when China was celebrating their holiday by traveling to their city of their birth, uh, COVID-19 locked down China uh, that resulted in the closing of the factory of the world. And, and it stayed closed for eight weeks. Um, the supply of products and components out of China was totally stopped. So while China fought the pandemic, what happened is COVID-19, the disease, was exported around the world. And so then just as the supply was being restored of the products and components, the demand was disrupted. So what we found ourselves in in last March and April globally was that the supply and demand both were disrupted and the global supply chain ceased to operate. Um, as, as the supply chains were restored, it became clear that the traditional uh, global supply chain was not able to deal with these levels of disruptions. Um, for, the, for the most part, um, what we saw is, is still in place today. It's a lack of synchronization of supply and demand, and it's either too much inventory or poor customer service and excessive transportation costs. And so where we are today is we have broken supply chains that are limping a job done. So it's been a disastrous impact and one that none of us ever really understood or predicted would occur at this level. How about that? Um, What a year, right? Um, So what are some of the biggest challenges then that you hear know, the current supply chains are facing, what are some of the bottlenecks uh, because um, of COVID-19? Well, yeah, Priya, I tell you, the uh, what a year. I, I, uh, I gave a speech the other day. The title of the speech was 2020. What a decade. And so literally in the last 10 months, we've had 10 years of change. And so the last year has been a decade from the point of view of what's what's going on. And uh, key examples of the the biggest challenge that's there 
is a huge, huge, huge growth of e-commerce, a huge growth of buy online, pick up and store. In both cases, that's like a 10-year jump in e-com and a 10-year jump on buy online, pick up and store. And then the resulting fall of the in-store volumes. And so this shift to how consumers shop and how they want to obtain their orders is huge. And this plus the shifting in demand due to the work from home, learn from home, work out from home, stay at home mindset has totally disrupted supply chains. And so um, the uh, the overall e-com, buy online, pick up and store, uh, lousy uh, uh, traffic in the stores and the everyone staying at home has really disrupted what we're doing and have created tremendous challenges um, throughout the supply chain. Yep, absolutely. Um, are there are there any specific challenges that kind of stand out uh, in comparison with uh, you know pre pre COVID nineteen? Right? Are there any specific challenges within the supply chain that we now hear of? Yeah. So so the the, the challenges have to do with systems that were based upon having some level of normalcy. And so the forecasting of the demand was based on past performance. But when the the demand had nothing to do with past performance because the world was turned upside down. And you know, there's all the examples, the toilet paper example, the the chicken in the stores, the size of apple juice you could buy. You know, since all the restaurants were closed, no one bought institutional size apple juice. And so when, since we're all eating at home, the amount of apple juice that was purchased in store was huge, but those were the smaller sizes. And so, you know, the, the basis of supply chain is to synchronize supply and demand. And when supply is uncertain and demand is unpredictable, you're absolutely in trouble in trying to make the systems work. And so what happened is uh, the supply chains, as we had spent 20 years building, uh, were no longer able to handle the requirements. And that became um, the major uh, uh, breakdown of, of what was affecting everything about how we live and how we work and how we get to, you know, how do we go to dinner and, and everything. I mean, it's a whole different game. And so we need to um, really throw off a lot of what we have known about supply chain and kind of start anew. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I guess, so you talk about systems uh, and you talk about technology, right? I'm curious, um, you know, of course, vaccine administration is, you know, by and large a government effort, but what's the role that technology has in aiding um, you know, what perhaps is the largest vaccine drive in history, right? Is the current supply chain that we have enough? Well, I tell you, the the large number of government agencies that are involved uh, throughout the world in the distribution of the vaccine um, is, is, is just absolutely crazy. And what's happened is, is we're really not even working on a supply chain for the vaccine. What we're really looking at is a logistics network, and the logistics network is a distributed network of uh, just trying to get the vaccines to the right locations. Um, but the rules keep changing 
with respect to who should be getting the vaccine. Um, should you save a second dose for the people to get the first one or not? Um, some places that said yes, then no, then yes, then no. It's gone back and forth. Um, and then really kind of a, an interesting question. You and I have talked for years about the last mile. Uh, now we're talking about the last inch. Who is actually going to administrate uh, the vaccine? Who's going to put the, the, the shot in your arm? And so we really need to give consideration to how we get the right person there uh, with the right vaccine, with the right person to administrate it. And um, so the logistics efforts are, are trying to deal with getting the right quantities of vaccines to the right location while providing you know, protection and security for those vaccines and to make sure we have the right people to administrate it. But there really is no supply chain plan of trying to match supply and demand. So the, the modern supply chain technology would be very helpful um, if there was an overall strategy for the vaccines. But you know, the most basic of questions, what are we trying to do with the vaccine? Some say we're trying to maximize the number of people who get the vaccine. Some say we're trying to slow the spread of COVID-19. Some say we're trying to reduce the deaths from COVID-19. Those three different strategies beget totally different supply chains. And what we see is different branches of government are taking different opinions on that around the world. And therefore, there really is no strategy that has been defined. And so um, if what we need to do is we need to figure out what is the demand and where is that demand? And then how do we supply to that demand? Until we begin to do that and stop focusing just let's get the right stuff to the, 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 the locations and what they could have. You know, we've got around the world where they've got a lot of vaccines but no people because the people are uncertain about the vaccine. We have other places in the world where there's people waiting in lines for days to try to get the vaccine. And so this is a total broken, very basic supply and demand situation. And so what we need to do is to deploy the technology, to deploy the uh, capabilities of the supply chain, but only after we have an understanding of what the strategy is we're trying to accomplish, and then we do it in a methodical way, not this way that we're doing it now around the world. Yeah, wow, that's 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 a really interesting perspective, right? To kind of work out what the objective is, because like you said, based on that, what the supply chain of that would look like, uh, where it should be administered, um, how it should be disseminated, change. Um, out of curiosity, who do you think uh, or which, you know, which groups or which combination of groups do you think would be best positioned to do this, right? Because there's, I mean, on the one hand, there's um, the expertise of like efficacy and, uh, you know, kind of like you said, working out uh, whether you're trying to reduce deaths or whether you're trying to reduce the spread of it, or are you just trying to get like as many people vaccinated as possible? Um, from a supply chain perspective, who do you think uh, or which groups would be best positioned kind of help um, with with the planning of this? 
Well, there's actually been some simulation studies done on that um, using the best scientific information that we have. And it, it's like a lot of things in business and supply chain. It depends if you're trying to get short-term gain or long-term gain. If the objective is to, uh, to win over COVID-19, to, to eradicate the disease and get back to normal, what you should be doing is having a strategy of not dealing with the old people, not dealing with the first-line medical workers, but instead dealing with where the disease is spread. And so if you have the choice of giving the vaccine to a nurse at a hospital or to a checkout person at a Walmart, you are better off giving the vaccine to a checkout person at Walmart because they come in contact with hundreds of more people in a day than the nurse does. Now, of course, you want to protect the nurse, but the, the protection of the nurse should not be done through the vaccine, but instead through um, the, the, the social protocol, the, uh, the masking and the uniforms and the, uh, you know, the hazmat suits you wear and so forth. And so there's really a, 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 an issue. Is this a political issue, which it is in many portions of the world, at which point they're looking at how many can we get out there? And in fact, uh, there's, there's places where we're talking about how many vaccines we've distributed into the field. Well, I don't particularly care how many vaccines you distribute in the field. I want to know how many people were administered the vaccine. And if the, if the experts say we need two shots, I want to know how many people got the two shots. I don't want two people to each have one shot. I want one person to get two shots. And I want that person to be someone who's intimately involved and in interacting with other people in a way that we can um, uh, minimize the spread of the disease. We want to minimize the spread of the disease to eradicate it. And that's the strategy that I believe science is behind. But unfortunately, we have politicians and governments um, making cases and making decisions without any real science behind it. So it's, it's a real big, a big mess. Yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, quite, quite, a, quite a job cut out um, uh, we have, don't we? Yeah. Um, let's, let's change gears a little bit and talk about the cold chain. Now, this is something that I have personally been quite confused by because, of course, there's a lot of articles talking about, you know, the cold chain and how, uh, you know, that's been difficult because, of course, there's, you know, some vaccines, well, most of them anyway, that lose their potency if the cold chain is broken, right? Um, so first of all, um, you know, what is needed for the vaccines to be distributed? Um, you know, what, what, what makes this cold chain different from, um, you know, moving something that's not required to be on the cold chain? And what's the role that technology plays in order to ensure um, that the cold chain actually remains unbroken and the vaccine remains broken. Yes, key key topic because if you get the right vaccine uh, to match up with demand, but the vaccine uh, has lost its potency, um, my goodness, what what a what a mistake that would be. Um, and technology can play a very important role there. Um, there are. are, are lots of technology. Um, the Internet of Things allows us to put uh, temperature sensing uh, devices um, with the product. Um, we can know with 100% certainty where every vaccine is, what the 
temperature history of it has been. Um, we could we can track um, if there was a problem with the temperature variation. How long did that happen? What was the the warmest temperature it got to? And and so the technology is in place that allows us to make sure that we maintain the potency of the vaccines and, and we have the, the technology to make that happen. The key now is to use that technology. And so, you know, thank you for asking that question because it's one that's overlooked and is really, really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess the other, the other uh, question that I have is that if there is so much capacity that's required, um, um, you know, by the vaccines, is there, are there other industries that are being impacted by it? Is, is, is this taking up capacity um, uh, from other industries uh, where in, you know, in, in a world where we need to move those, there would be something else moving instead? Well, yes, for sure it is. Um, and in many countries of the world, um, the cold chain is already over over capacity and that it's not about uh, moving something as critical as a vaccine. It's just as, as simple as moving frozen French fries and the cold chain is inadequate in portions of the world. There's simply not enough capacity. And so we're having the frozen french fries show up at the restaurant, they're no longer frozen and they refreeze them and that's not good for the quality of the french fry. And so there are limits and then when you put an additional constraint on top of an existing problem, um, you're going to have a real challenge. And so that has a lot to do with the strategy of, of what you're going to do as well. There's some vaccines that don't require the cold chain and uh, there's some that don't require the level of uh, coldness. And so we need to understand that and make sure we're using the vaccines within the countries that have the capability to make it happen. And then we need to add capacity. Um, there are several countries in the world that have added a separate vaccine cold chain capability, um, which is new capacity that's brought on, been brought on to make this happen. So um, it can be done. And when it is done, um, the, the governments need to get behind the effort and then do need, uh, as you said, uh, use the technology to make sure we maintain the effectiveness of the vaccine. Got it. Um, well, the next question that I have is a little bit ironical, given that we've been talking about supply chain for such a long time. Um, I've heard you say a bunch of times, supply chain is dead. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by this? Yeah, that's uh, I have said that, and uh, that makes me feel bad because uh, I, I I lost a friend, a friend of mine, uh, for the last uh, 35 years has been the supply chain, and now all of a sudden the supply chain is dead, so I've lost a loved one. But the reality is I, I began working back in June of 2019, which seems like 10 years ago now, but I, I did a detailed study of the frequency of black swans, you know, events that aren't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to see a black swan. All swans are supposed to be white. But I realized that the black swans had been occurring more and more frequently. And so as I studied that, I went in to look at how do we deal with levels of disturbance? And I discovered a term that the US Army had invented in 1988 
to describe what was going to happen when the Berlin Wall fell, what was going to happen when the Soviet Union fell, what was going to happen when the Cold War was over. And they invented the term VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And as I looked at the black swan frequency, the term VUCA seemed best to be able to define that we were entering a new era of unpredictable times. And um, in June of 2019, I did a videotape talking about VUCA. Well, then the mother of all VUCA, uh, COVID-19, began in China, as we said, in late 2018. Um, at this time, all supply chains were linear, point-to-point -point supply chains, where we had links of a chain. This link attached to the link before and attached to the link after. And so it was linear, point-to-point -point link communication, and that supply chain is too slow to respond to VUCA. The information latency that exists in a traditional supply chain where you're trying to synchronize supply and, and demand, it makes, it makes it impossible in a VUCA world, thus the death of the supply chain. And so what we must replace those supply chains with is not a linear point to point, but instead a real time network of many to many communications that overcomes information latency because everyone in the network has real-time information of what's happening. We have the same version of the truth, and therefore we have the capability to respond in real-time to VUCA. Um, this, this new uh, replacement of what we used to call supply chain is a digital supply network. It's a digital ecosystem that uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to respond to VUCA while minimizing cost and inventory and maximizing customer satisfaction. And so we can really achieve the holy grail of supply chain, which is minimizing inventory, um, minimizing cost, and maximizing customer satisfaction by having a real-time digital supply network. How oh, interesting. So say if I'm um, if I'm a supply chain leader, then uh, how does my life change with a digital supply network? Yeah, great question. Um, the digital network uh, functions as a control tower over all the elements of the ecosystem. And that, that's really a key that we have now a control tower. It's quite possible that the technologies within the network are not changed from what you already have, but the key to the digital network is that you have this control tower. The difference between the pre-control tower days and the post-control tower days is, is the difference between noise and music. <laughs> In both situations with noise and music, you have talented musicians. The difference is in the control tower, the control tower is the conductor who gets the musicians to play to create play together to create beautiful music. And so um, if there's no conductor, the musicians make noise. But when the conductor has them work as a unit, 
they create beautiful music. So the answer to your question is your life of the supply chain leader is going to go from being a firefighter and an expediter dealing with lots of noise. Instead, it's going to lead to a new life of being conductor of great musicians making beautiful music. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Well, if I was a supply chain leader, I would be so right about now. But talk to me a little bit about then um, of, you know, are you suggesting that you know, a lot of this work, you know, building the digital supply network, um, would a lot of this work have to be done in-house? Um, does this mean that companies should look to build this technology in-house or is it a combination of, um, you know, working with companies uh, that can help them or help shippers achieve this? Uh, and if so, are there any interesting companies that stand out uh, to you that you think are doing some interesting work in this space? Yes, yes, absolutely. The key of the digital supply network is having this control tower. Um, it's the, like the control tower at the airport. Can you imagine trying to run an airport and not to have visibility as to the planes that were coming to your airport or the visibility of the planes that are there or the planes that are already landing or the planes that are on the ground? Um, the, the, it would be chaos. And uh, you know, you only could land one airplane every hour or something. I mean, it would it wouldn't allow you to ha have a, a great uh, transportation system. So what we have, once we have that control tower, we now see everything that's happening right to that raw material supplier, to the carrier, to the manufacturing plant, to the the, the, the transportation provided, uh, to the creation of the final product, to the port. Uh, across the ocean to the receiving country, um, into the distribution, out of distribution, into fulfillment, and then uh, actually being delivered to the customer's front door. If we have that total knowledge of everything that's happening, and we have artificial intelligence and machine learning, we then can really take control of our ability to achieve that holy grail of minimized inventory, maximum customer service, and minimized cost. Yep. Yep. That's interesting. So is, is the suggestion then that like a lot of this work be done in-house or are there other companies that stand out that kind of help shippers with, with building this, if you will? Well, there is one company that um, I, I really am really excited about. The name of the company is One Network. And what One Network uh, has been doing for the last 17 years is building this network out. And they've now really made a very cool contribution in that they are leaders in control towers and they are leading in artificial intelligence and machine learning so that we can actually have the supply chain uh, network solve its own problems. And so the, 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 the network is self-defining. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna have a constraint here. I'm gonna have a constraint here. But then instead of just telling you where the problems and predicting, it now has the prescriptive capability that you can ask it to give you solutions that will uh, handle uh, various prescriptions of your objective function. And that can then solve the problem for you. That's really cool. And, and one network is head and shoulders above other companies in that regard. That's interesting. So does this mean that um, you know, something like this kind of sits on top of existing technologies or 
tools that companies already have. So say if you have like DMS or WMS, if you have like an ERP system, like all of this stuff, um, something like this would sit on top of everything that's feeding into these systems to then uh, have them integrate with each other and have like an over over overarching layer. Or does it does it have to dis fully fully capable? of leaving in place all your WMS, your TMS, your order management, your planning systems, your ERP, all of it can stay in place. And the first step is to put in place the control tower that allows you to then in real time, use the information for the different systems to really understand how the supply network will function. Now, after you do that first step, it's possible you'll come back and say, gee, we need to do a new demand planning module. Um, or gee, we need to look at our uh, yard management system because it doesn't respond in real time. And the fact of the matter is um, we're not using our doors and our warehouse in the best way. So the, the, the opportunity to replace portions of what you have might be something that you need to do down the road. But the first thing you need to do is to put in the control tower that uses everything you have that gives you the ability to start making um, good decisions on how we should minimize cost and maximize customer service um, while not letting the inventories become inflated. And so that's really the key is that control tower to get us started on this journey. Gotcha. Interesting. And then I guess final question, um, you know, there are obviously a lot of shippers out there and some of them are a lot more forward thinking than others. Are there any shippers that you think are ahead of the game when it comes to this? Well, I think where we're finding most success is in high volume supply chains. So I, I think grocery supply chains are, are doing well. I think um, the uh, the automotive supply chains are going towards digital networks, and and I think those are two industry groups that are really uh, uh, moving ahead uh, quicker than um, some of the consumer products and retail groups. And so I think there's uh, leaders and laggers here, and uh, the leaders need to keep uh, pushing the pedal to the metal, and the laggers need to get on with it because they're falling woefully behind. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and I guess final question, uh, I know I said that previously, but I lied. <laughs> um, the final question would be that, um, you know, as a result of this pandemic, do you think that there is going to be something in the world of supply chain that's going to permanently change? So, yeah, great question. You know, a lot of people are talking about the, the new normal or the next normal. Um, I, I see instead this is a new beginning and it's a new beginning for um, supply chain. And so it's a time for innovation and creativity. And I think there's a long way to get us up to the standard that I'm suggesting with a digital supply network. But I think there's a lot more that's going to be done over time. A lot of it technology driven that's going to allow us to uh, get closer and closer and closer to the uh, optimal supply chain. So um, it's a new beginning, but we're just getting started and there's a lot more to do. There you go. New beginning, uh, a lot has started, but a lot more to do. Um, as always, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you, Jim. Um, and I think that we should probably do a second round once uh, 
you know, there's uh, there's some um, progress in uh, how the vaccines are rolled out and therefore what that means for what's happening in the world of supply chain. Right on. What an exciting time, huh? Absolutely. All right. Well, you have a good one. And again, thank you so much for taking out the time, Jim. My pleasure, Pri. Always good to chat. That is it for today from us at the Vaccine Challenge. We continue to work towards our mission of bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges that can help speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccines world over. If you're doing anything worthwhile in this space, have any suggestions of who you should talk to or any other ways that we can improve the podcast, please write to us at contact us at thevaccinechallenge.com. Until then, stay safe, stay responsible. This is us signing off from the Vaccine Challenge.